Hey, this is Pastor Jason Deshaw at Redeemer Church in Fridley, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. My hope for you is that this message helps deepen your relationship with God and leaves you feeling encouraged. For more information about who we are, message notes, and discussion questions, visit us at RedeemerMN.org. Good morning, church. Today, I'm thrilled to be with you as we continue our series through the book of James. Two weeks ago, I encouraged us, challenged us, as a church, let's read James together. It's just literally a chapter a week, piece of cake. So if you've missed or been on vacation, know that you can catch up very easily, just a chapter. And if you've been reading through James, uh, you'll notice that there are certain themes and certain actions that we see over and over again. It's almost as if James wants us as the readers to pay particularly close attention to these actions. One of them, he emphasizes the importance of patience. (laughs) I know that God has used this powerfully as a theme in my life for the last couple of weeks, not just because I face some struggles, but also just in revealing in me how impatient I can be in certain areas. Another theme that James hits on over and over again is that Christians are to take care of the weak and the vulnerable. And a third theme that we'll see today is James repeatedly issues a careful warning about the power of words, the words that come out of our mouths. Last week, I talked about James' verse that said, let us be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. As we move ahead to James chapter 3, James picks up that same theme again, and he takes it deeper. might be helpful to think about it this way. Last week, the focus was on when to speak and when to listen. Chapter 3, the focus shifts on how to speak. And words are so powerful. Reminds me of a little kid's joke. One day there was an argument between the tongue and teeth. The teeth told the tongue, if I bite down and press on you just a little bit, I, I'll, you'll get cut. The tongue replied, if I misuse one single word, all 32 of you will come out. <laughs> so chapter three of James begins this way. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That's a word that James gives for people who are in positions of influence, like teachers, people that other people listen to. And he says to them, you must be careful. (laughs) Makes me sweat a little bit. But then he goes on. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we could turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. James is simply saying something that we all know to be true, and that's this. Our words matter. They have impact. They give shape to a reality that we must pay close attention to. And then James offers these two funny metaphors, one about a horse and one about a ship. He says, both the destiny of the horse and the destiny of the ship are determined by these small, hugely significant pieces of equipment. The bridle steers the horse, the rudder steers the ship. In like manner, James says, words steer your life. Think about it. With your words, you land a job. With your words, you build a friendship or intimacy. You build community. With your words, you build a family culture. For those of you that are in this room and you're under the age of 18, with your words, you're building a relationship with your parents. Your words may have landed you into trouble. Your words may have gotten you a date. Your words may have lost you that same date. (laughs) With your words, we enter into life-changing covenants. 
You say I do and you become, most, you become married. Or most powerfully, most importantly, with your words, you open up your heart to Jesus. Words matter. Your tongue is so powerful. There's a little taco truck on Central Avenue in the AutoZone parking lot that I have grown to love. It's a little food truck, and they have really authentic Mexican food. They have a whole bunch of different tacos, even including lingua, which is cow tongue. Now, I know that that's a delicacy for some, but as a Stoic Lutheran, I don't like to taste anything that can taste me back. Your tongue is so powerful. Verses 1 to 5 in James lays the groundwork that James is building towards. And the second verse of 5, he introduces this new metaphor of the tongue. He says this, Consider that a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. There's a lot happening in those words. James compares the tongue to a spark, to a fire, to a flame. The implication is, is that the words that we speak don't just direct our lives, they have deep impact for those around us. Our words spread like wildfire. For those of you familiar with fires, you know that it's a combination of heat, oxygen, and fuel that create what they call the fire triangle. And when these three elements come together, especially in nature, there's a chain reaction of spark and flame, and it's usually erratic and hard to predict and difficult to stop. We hear about that in more massive forest fires out west. In the same way, James is saying, your words have a chain reaction. If you're not careful, they will set in motion a series of events, tragic or erratic and difficult to stop, destructive. Many of you know the effects of ill-gotten words or that chain reaction all too well. Maybe you spent time in a destructive relationship where instead of words of truth and affirmation spoken in love, you were always made to feel inadequate. Maybe you had a parent that was always disappointed or said you'll never amount to anything. Maybe you were part of a church where strict words of legalism grew in you, that sense of shame that still affects you to this day. So the main question for us today is simply this. What kind of realities are you giving shape to with the words that you speak? Let me say that again. What kind of realities are you giving shape to with the words that you speak? How would your kids answer that question? How would the people who report to you answer that question, or, or your spouse, or your friends, or your teammates? What kind of chain reactions are you setting into motion with the words that you say? And then in James 3, 7, James concludes his teaching, or continues his teaching. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My dear brothers and sisters, this should not be. As we consider our chain reactions, James offers these two possibilities. He says we'll either bless God, bless the Lord, or curse those who are made in his likeness. Those are our two options. And they're not... Standalone concepts. James is connecting his readers here in James to the much grander story of the Bible. The story of the power of words actually begins in the very first chapter in Genesis 1. From the beginning, we see the tremendous power of words. When God speaks, he's not just conveying information. He's speaking into existence lasting realities. 
In Genesis 1, for example, many of you are familiar with the text. It's actually a poem recalling the seven days of creation. And each day begins with this phrase, and God said. And during the verse three days, he uses words to create the day and night. On day two, he speaks again, and he brings into being a dome called the sky. And on day three, he speaks, and he would create the land and the sea. And then if you haven't noticed this before, on the next three days, God simply fills in the void of what he spoke into existence the first three days. The night and day, he fills in with the sun and the moon. That's day four. The sky, he fills with birds. That's day five. The land and the sea, he fills with living creatures. That's day six. Now, I know that for some, the story can be a difficult one because you're not sure how this creation narrative fits in with science of what we know about the age of the universe. And those are all great and valid and good questions. And if you want to talk more about them, I highly recommend you see Pastor Jason or Pastor Terry, okay? (laughs) A little little boy, Johnny, asked his mom, Mom, where did people come from? Mother answered, well, God made Adam and Eve, Johnny, and they had children, and that's how all mankind was made. A couple days later, Johnny asked his dad the same question. Dad answered, well, many years ago, there were monkeys, which the human race then evolved from. Little boy, Johnny, returned to his mom and said, Mommy, you lied to me. You said we were created by God, but Daddy said we came from monkeys. The mother answered, well, dear, it's very simple. I told you about my side of the family, and he told you about (laughs) his. Silly. What's important about creation, as we talk about it this morning, is that these words reveal something about the true character and the nature of God. We see that when God speaks, his words fill voids. His words bring life. Immediately after God creates mankind, he uses the words, and then he says he blesses them. And it's a pattern that we see. God brings something into being, and then he blesses it. He adds value. Pastor A.W. Tozer said it this way. sums up God's character so wonderfully. He says, this word of God is the breath of God Filling the world with living potentiality. This word of God is the breath of God filling the world with living potentiality. And then as you continue to read in Genesis, we see another story about words unfold. It says that the deceptive serpent uses words to convince the man and the woman to eat from the forbidden tree. He claims it'll be good for them, but in reality it will lead to death. Talk about a chain reaction. The woman uses her words to deceive man. The man uses his words to blame the woman. Friends, a story of blessing and cursing continue on today in your life and in mine. Essentially, James is asking in chapter three, which chain reaction will you perpetuate? Will you speak words that bless, that bring life, or words that perpetuate a different story? Words motivated by your own little kingdom. Words to build up your ego at the expense of another. Words that will, of deception instead of truth. Words of anger instead of love. And James makes it very clear that a poor choice in your words will ultimately lead to your own demise. Back in verse 6, James said, the tongue can set the whole life on fire, for it itself is on fire by hell. The, The word for hell there in the Greek is the word Gehana. Gehana was a valley just outside of the city of Jerusalem, and James lived in Jerusalem his whole life, so he would be very familiar with that valley. In Israel's history, Certain kings of Judah offered child sacrifices in Gehana. So by Jews, it was viewed as a place of death. They referred to it as the the valley of slaughter. 
Eventually, it became a site where garbage was burned and dead bodies were tossed to be eaten by dogs. It's not a friendly place. And James issues this strong warning. He says, friends, if you're not careful, your tongue will land you in Gehenna. Some of you, you know this. You have said words that you wish you could take back. Others of you have said words that have led to a place of deep isolation and loneliness. And loneliness can be a, feel a lot like Gehenna. Today is my sister's birthday, along with a few others here. Bruce, happy birthday. And uh, one of my first memories of using words to inflict harm, I can still remember pretty clearly. I was six or seven. My sister's four years older than me, and we were arguing. I don't even remember what about. I remember the argument escalated into yelling, and she said something about, I wish you'd just go away. And I responded, well, I wish you'd never been born. I can still recall the pain on my sister's face as she burst into tears. Words matter. They start a chain reaction. You know this. You've probably all been the victim to their erratic, unpredictable pain. For some of you, it's hard to find your way out of that particular story. And then James ends this passage with this statement. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring, my brothers and sisters? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Put it simply, we can only speak from who we are. And who we are has been largely shaped by the words that have been spoken to us. So then the question becomes, how do we align our words with God so that we can bless others when it says that the tongue is hard, actually almost impossible to tame? And secondly, we bring our own history and our own experience of messy lives into the equation. So how can we do that? Let me just give you a few suggestions from God's word. First of all, we have to change where we stand. In Psalm 19:14, this prayer that says this, the psalmist says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The first part of this petition is simply a prayer that God, you would align our, God align our words with your will. And then the second part, he makes this crucial acknowledgement. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalmist is simply saying, that in order to change where we stand, we have to first receive God's blessing before we can bless others. Unless the truth of God's love finds its, way, finds its way into the core of our being, our struggle with words will forever be a losing battle. Why? Because it's in God's love that we find our identity. It's, that's where we find our security. Without it, we become negative and defensive. We always feel like we have something to prove. We'll tear others down. We'll boast. We'll gossip. When the psalmist says, the Lord is my rock and my redeemer, he's saying, I'm okay. I know where I stand with God. And, and from that position, I'm free to bless others. That's why James talks about the importance of our words when we worship God. Because when we worship, we're recognizing what God has done for us in Christ, his unconditional sacrificial love. And James says, when our worship is authentic, there will be ripple effects. Your words will be redeemed. They will reflect the heart of a person who has found their salvation, who's not threatened by the world, who needs nothing because in Christ they have everything. One of the greatest examples of how our words can shape a reality that aligns with God's will is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., which is amazing because of all the hateful words that were spoken to him. But instead of reacting to that narrative and perpetuating more hate, he chose a different way. 
In a sermon he gave in 1957, Dr. King made this proclamation. Returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Dr. King is saying you you keep that chain reaction going and you're going to end up in Gahana. But he knew that we don't just will ourselves out of hate. He knew that we'll conform to the narrative we know unless we hear a voice of love that's louder and truer and more convincing than the deceptive words we've endured. In another sermon, Dr. King said this, by opening our lives to God in Christ, we become new creatures. This experience which Jesus spoke of as the new birth is essentially if we are to be transformed nonconformists, is essential if we are to be transformed nonconformists. Only through our, our, an inner spiritual transformation do we gain the strength to fight vigorously the evils of a world with a humble and loving spirit. Dr. King says in order to share words that bless, your inner life has to be transformed. You need your security from Christ. It needs to be redeemed. You need to be complete. You need to be a new creation. And so this week, when you're tempted to use your words for self-promotion or to hurt somebody else's feelings or to inflict pain, to gossip about somebody, stop and just say this statement. The Lord is my rock and my redeemer. Let the truth of that just kind of sink into your being. Because we need to change where we stand. And then secondly, we need to change what we see. In James 3.9, it says, With the tongue, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. The implication is pretty clear. James is saying each time you curse another person, it's as though you're cursing God. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, well, Pastor John, that sounds good in theory, but you don't know my mom or my 13-year-old son or my boss or this kid at school. (laughs) They might be made in God's image, but they sure don't act like it. I know it's difficult and hard. But hear this truth. When we change what we see in others and speak words that affirm the image of God in them, we actually bring that person closer to realizing their new identity in Christ, their true identity in Christ. We change their reality. That's why scripture is loaded with words about encourage one another, build each other up. As a community, we're responsible for the growth and formation, not just for ourselves, but for each other as well. Every person is made in God's image and desires, and God desires everybody to come to know him in a personal way, in a relationship with Jesus. Friends, change what you see. And then lastly, change what we say. We have to put into practice and speak words of blessing. So before you speak, will these words encourage? Will they build up? Are they honest? Do they communicate the best interests of the person you're talking to? Do they align with God's ultimate commandment to love? Make it a goal that every person you interact with this week will come away blessed by the words you've spoken to them. Let me say that again. Make it a goal that every person you interact with this week will come away blessed by the words you've spoken to them. I'll close with just a powerful story I read this last week that illustrates how words change a life. It's a story by a rabbi by the name of Michael Weezer. It's not that long ago. It was 1991. For some of you, that seems like eternity, but it's not that long ago. The rabbi had moved to Lincoln, Nebraska with his wife and five kids. The day after he moved in, 
the voice on the other end of the phone started hurling racial insults at him, calling him a Jew boy, and violently insisting that he and his family were not welcome in this town. The next day, he received a package. It contained hateful, anti-Semitic materials with an unsigned card that read, the KKK is watching you, you scum. This is 1991. Rabbi did a little digging and rightly assumed that the threats were coming from a guy by the name of Larry Trapp, who was the local KKK chapter leader. So the rabbi found Larry's number and started calling him every week. Larry never picked up the phone, so the rabbi would leave messages like, hey, Larry, there's a lot of love out there. Do you want some? Or the next week he called again. He found out that Larry, had, with his diabetes, had both of his legs amputated. And he said, Larry, this is the rabbi. Just want to let you know that if you ever need a ride to the grocery store or anything, let me know. I'll help you out. This went on for months. No answer. But the rabbi kept at it. Late one night, the rabbi's phone rang. It was Larry Trapp. Larry simply said, I want to get out of what I'm doing, but I don't know how. In other words, Rabbi, help me change my reality. That night, the rabbi and his wife drove over and talked to Larry at his home. They spent three hours talking to him, the local KKK leader. And a friendship of sorts began. Over the next several months, Larry left the clan. He made public apologies apologies to those he'd harmed. He began attending the synagogue with the rabbi and his family. Then Larry's health began to worsen. The rabbi and his wife moved Larry into their home and cared for him. The very place where Larry had mailed words of hate, Larry died surrounded by and embraced by love and friendship. It's an amazing story. I think of that story, it reminds me of Jesus on the cross in his final most painful moments of life. He asked the Father to forgive those who are crucifying him. In the very end, he's still continuing God's work to fill the world with living potentiality. So simply put, who might be a Larry in your life? Who needs the life-giving words that you can bring? Friends, as a church, we not only receive God's goodness and love, we're to give it to others. And your words have more living potential than you know. So as we end, I'm just going to give us a couple of moments So just pause to simply reflect. Where are you at with your words? Who is God calling you to speak differently to? What different reality does God want you to create? Let's pray together. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed listening to this message and you'd like to join us in reaching others by partnering with us today, you can give at RedeemerMN.org slash give. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss a single message. 